Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Yes, we are recording. Welcome back, everyone. Everyone doing well for this late January? How did that happen? Like this month is like already almost gone. Oh, thank God. I'm so happy it's almost (laughs) over. (laughs) All right, Miss, looking forward to February. Mm. Uh, I am. I'm really looking. You know, I just, it's so cold. And I don't know, January, it's like after the holidays, the the glow of, you know, cozy winter weather is kind of like worn off on me. And Mm -hmm. I just am ready for spring and to get through these terrible gray months on Long Island. That was me 10 minutes after the first snowfall. It's like, okay, (laughs) January is also taking down holiday decorations, which is the worst task in the world because it is just so, I mean, putting them up is at least festive. Taking them down is just an absolute drag. Especially because we had, we, we bought the world's most perfect Christmas tree this year. And I really, really hated throwing it outside. Well, there was an article, I think it was in the Atlantic a guy arguing for leaving Christmas decorations up until March. I saw that. Yeah. My parents left them up every year until. Oh. I I know, then it, starts, it starts looking like the holler near where I grew up, you know, where I, they never I, came I, down. I, <laughs> I delivered yeah. pizzas in college in Pittsburgh. And I can tell you the number of people who had Christmas trees up in May would alarm, <laughs> would, would alarm you. Yeah. Is that a fire hazard? Yeah. <laughs> I would start looking under the bed for bodies at that point. Yeah, it's it's alarming. Yeah, I get it. Well, let's uh, let's do our introductions here, and we can launch into our our um, topic this week. So, at the controls again is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Catherine G. Manu, aka Georgie, is here again. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annette. It's Georgie. I'm one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And back from his southern trip is Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. Yes, it was much warmer there. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'll give you one other pearl of wisdom from delivering pizzas, that it is true that some women will answer the door for the pizza guy in a bathrobe that's hanging uh, luridly open, but none of those women should be doing that. I see. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it should not not be the case. My husband delivered pizzas one summer in Tacoma, Washington, when he got stranded out there because he ran out of money and he um, delivered for Domino's and on his name tag, his name, his name was Pete Zuh, Z-U-H. So if you ever have to get another pizza job, that should be your name. See, Adam and I, I was a Domino's guy too. And I've always said third best job I ever held. I just driving around, listening to the radio, listening to baseball games in the summertime and delivering pizzas was an easy, an easy job. I liked it. And I don't know how it was in Pittsburgh, but in, in Washington state, a lot of people invited him in to partake of whatever sorts of illicit contraband they <laughs> no. had going on inside. No, never yeah. had that. Also, yeah. I can tell you, I can tell you from experience that a large two topping pizza was nine eighty six, 
uh, because of the number of people who handed me a 10 and said, keep the change, which there gave me go. a four, 14 cents tip. There you go, wow. buddy. Don't spend it all in one place. Generous. Yep. And that was your third most favorite job? I'd hate to hear where the other two are. <laughs> yeah. This is number one for what it's worth. Yay. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Annette Havel, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us this week is senior reporter Michael Wright. And uh, how are you doing today, Mike? I'm well, thanks. Hi, everybody. Good. Good. So we'll launch into this topic. This is, it seems like, ever, like if it's, you know, been a month and a half, it's time to get Mike back on to talk about this topic, um, which is the East Hampton Airport. And this week, um, we had some movement on the airport. The airport, of course, has been a longstanding controversy with people who live near it and under the flight path, wanting to see it go away forever, and people who rely on the airport um, for transportation and um, recreation really want to figure out how to keep it around. So, Mike, what happened this week that was um, kind of um, a new move on the airport front? Well, the uh, the town board on Tuesday, um, after you know much posturing and saying that they were going to do it, actually introduced uh, the proposal to close the airport, uh, though only temporarily, uh, starting in March, the first week of March. Uh, they're going to close it for three days, and then they're going to reopen it uh, yesterday afternoon, actually, to uh, uh, formalize that uh, in, in law. And so as of now, that is going to happen. And what they're doing is um, immediately they're filing paperwork with the FAA because you have to you have to give 30 days notice, basically, so that it can be posted. And uh, basically, you know, pilots can know that that airport isn't going to be available on March 1st. And they're simultaneously uh, basically applying to open a new airport at the same time, um, which will happen on March 3rd. Um, it would open as a new airport under a different designation. Uh, technically now it is a public airport, uh, which according to federal law means that only the FAA can dictate uh, the rules that uh, must be followed by all aircraft uh, using that airport. And the town has no actual control over it. There's voluntary stuff that you can do, but um, when they open the new airport, it will be a private airport, even though it's owned by the town, um, you know, a public entity, uh, which some people have raised some legal eyebrows at, but uh, the town's uh, very high powered, very high priced attorneys from California tell them that uh, they can do that. And they've been talking with the FAA a lot, so they seem fairly confident in that. Um, and when it reopens, it will be a private airport and they can basically set any rules they want. They have said they're going to use a system called prior permission required, uh, which I gather is fairly common at private airports. Uh, Montauk Airport uses it. And basically you just have to be in contact with the airport manager, operator, whoever it is, and let them tell you it's okay for you to land at their airport, which will allow the town to uh, presumably very simply uh, just draw up guidelines that can kind of be changed whenever they want um, that say, you know, this is who we're going to give permission to and how often and when. And they think that this is going to create an airport that they will be able to 
carefully ratchet down to minimize or eliminate the types of flights that have been the biggest nuisance uh, over the last, you know, 20 years or so. So I should say that that meeting was actually on January 18th. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Right. The proposal was unveiled on January 18th, uh, that on Tuesday, and then it was voted on and approved on Thursday, the 20th. Yeah. Now, have they have they talked about what those rules might be? Or are they sort of being a little cagier about that? Well, they I mean, they have they you know, it, it's sort of like they're they're advancing the ball. And so this is something that had to be straightened out and organized and gotten on the table so that they could, because of that 30 day lag period, um, you know, they wanted to get it on the table. And so, you know, this, this proposal only has the closure and the reopening as a private airport. um, And it doesn't actually address what the limitations will be at all. They have said that they're now going to take up that discussion and they don't expect to have those rules in effect on March 3rd when the airport reopens. It's basically gonna reopen under the same rules it has now, um, but there'll be that possibility. Um, and so they're gonna, they're gonna do a new process. And I think that's, I think that's actually gonna be legislative also, uh, possibly subject to a public hearing, uh, whatever, those, whatever those rules will be. And um, they just said that they won't have. That'll be an interesting public hearing. Yes, yes, that will be an interesting public hearing. Um, and uh, I mean, it'll it it almost doesn't matter. Public hearing is a you know a legal definition at this point. You know, this is a board that has a public comment period um, at the start of all five of its monthly meetings, and so they hear about it left and right. It you know one is no different from the other other than that you know in a public hearing it's actually part of the the uh, official record of that specific law but you know that this is all public record and and recorded anyway do you envision them being fairly quickly in introducing some of those regulations they've had a lot of time yeah i mean yes they've 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 said they'll have it in place by the summer season and you know i i think peter van skoyak the supervisor um, actually said May in that uh, in in one of his comments, which means it may not be until May. Um, you know, which traditionally <clears throat> pre-pandemic in the before times, you know, aircraft traffic at that airport was um, you know a faint shadow uh, of the summer traffic all the way up until like Friday of Memorial Day weekend. You know, there'd be some small increases on the weekends and in uh, April and early May, but really it was it was it was pretty quiet until Memorial Day weekend. Now, since the pandemic, that's completely changed. Um, You know, weekdays uh, during the winter time and the off season have seen uh, you know very busy days, Um, not summer level, but way, you know, many times greater than they ever would have been uh, in the off seasons in the past, just because you have so many people, uh, you know, corporate executives, especially who are, their offices are closed. So they're living out here, uh, but they still have to go to meetings. And so they get on their jets and fly to meetings or the helicopter and fly to the city. So yeah, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to impose the rules fairly quickly. Um and you know they're going to discuss that in public, craft them with the attorneys, 
um, you know, they've got consultants and, you know, there's a lot of considerations there of what they're going to try to do uh, and how quickly. They've said they're going to be careful about it. Mike, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, you know, I know that they can set new rules as far as timing of when flights come in and you'll need to have permission to actually come and land at the airport. Do they, because the of the expiration of the FAA grants and now that it becomes a private airport, will they have any kind of way of controlling the routes into the airport or is that still an FAA issue? Um, that's not so much, I mean, the, the the air traffic control tower does that already. Um, now they only have their control tower in place uh, during the summer, operating during the summer when the traffic is the heaviest. But yeah, when, when you're in, when you have a controlled airspace, the the tower dictates where you come because you have to check in with the tower as you approach, and they have to give you clearance. And so, so they follow those routes. Um, but they they weren't able to do that previously right in in the past in the past they weren't and now again that's only in the controlled space which is a five mile um radius uh circle around the airport so it doesn't control you know where the where the route following thing was a problem was really um on the north fork where you had you know there was a whole thing up there where they had this northern transition route and you know, mm. air air traffic routes are because of you know safety considerations are only sort of guidelines, and no pilot has to follow them. You know, kind of no matter what, it's like a you know you must take this road even if there's a bulldozer coming down the <laughs> coming down mm. the opposite direction. You can't get off of it, right? So they they can't apply that kind of thing really. Um, it, it routes are up to a, a pilot's discretion, but when you're approaching the airport, yes, the, you know, the control tower has control over that because theoretically they should be directing you down a route that you have no reason to have to deviate from. What you had on the North Fork was a lot of pilots who, even though the route, the official route went down and out around Orient and came in over the bay, you know, they were just cutting across the North Fork at Mattatuck because that was a much more direct route and would save them, you know, five minutes in the air and however much gas that burns. So other than the number of aircraft, this at least may not have, this may not be the panacea for the, the trouble no. that they're having on the North Fork and in some other areas. If you live under the flight paths that are approach, you know, so we have, you have two things here. You have fixed wing aircraft and you have helicopters. Fixed wing aircraft obviously have to follow a fairly straight line within a certain distance of the airport, both on approach and takeoff, because they, you know, they got to get going. Um, so if you live under those flight paths, uh, you know, there's not going to be zero aircraft traffic anymore. Helicopters, it's a little more amorphous because they can, you know, just come in from kind of any direction. Um, but, but you made, I think you made the point at one point along the way in your reporting, uh, something that I thought was interesting. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, just looking at it from the outside think, well, why don't the helicopters come in at a very high altitude right over the airport and then just drop straight yeah, down to the that's, airport? That's uh, mechanically, that's very difficult. It's hard on an air, on the aircraft to, to drop, you know, you picture that, you picture that scene in Jurassic Park where they like, 
yeah. go straight down vertically into that into that car i mean it is possible it, aerodynamically it's very hard on the aircraft and uh, i think it's dangerous and and and, and kind of not necessary what's that i said i think it's dangerous too yeah it could be um and yeah and and, and would be complicated and, and this and that not to mention that i mean you know an air a helicopter at uh you know the the thousand feet or whatever it is that they want them at two thousand feet that if they were all just at that flight height all the time it would eliminate almost no complaints about helicopters because it really does i mean it does make a big difference relatively speaking but it's been a long time and if those helicopters come in at the at the levels that they're supposed to which most of them by all accounts do um you know there, there's it's still loud and it's still bothersome uh it's it's about the numbers yes when you get the cowboy guys that come in really low of which there's several who are repeat offenders and is one of the one of the things about the whole voluntary limits that they've used so far and that the aviation groups are all now screaming about um they say it's just you know it's, it's not enforceable and you and you can't do anything about it and these guys come in very low over some of these houses and yes that's that's you know super obnoxious but even any helicopter coming in even at the at the height if there's you know if there's one every five minutes is uh, you know is is a noise uh, a noise impact issue to say the least. So can I? I was curious why with the with the closure they're doing on February twenty eighth. Is there a reason that it's three days? I just wonder if that is that a legal thing or I I, I would assume so. Um, you know they they didn't they didn't say specifically the consultants didn't say specifically why they chose that that period of time. There's been a lot of back and forth over the last year with the FAA um, about how these things could be done. There was, there was some speculation that you could sort of just do this administratively. And actually, apparently the FAA told them that they could just do it without closing the airport. They could just sort of declare themselves a private airport. But the attorneys uh, told the board on Tuesday that doing that didn't really uh, settle the local control issue 100%. The FAA, it's something that the FAA had come up with and pitched themselves, but it sounded like uh, the attorneys were saying that it was still going to leave the FAA with, uh, you know, a couple of strings that they could pull. They just wanted to make sure that was all covered. Yeah, the town's really set on just having complete control, maximum control, as they call it um uh so that they can they can basically set the uh set the rules as they see fit and so no one's ever done this before is that right no nobody's ever done it not this way anyway um uh you know some some airports have been closed uh permanently and uh that's pretty much it i mean there's you know there's this whole big legal process that some uh some airports have used to try and put new limits on their uh on their flights with uh sort of very scant success um and so this is uh you know this is a, a novel legal approach it seems that the faa has participated in so you know we'll see how it uh we'll see how it goes and you might see a lot of other places i mean i know there's uh 
there's some small airports in small towns and big, I mean, big airports like, you know, the uh, private, the airport in Naples, Florida, which um, is a super busy uh, private jet airport and has, uh, has been, they've, they've tried to, uh, uh, tried to change their rules um, frequently uh, with zero success so far. So yeah, that's funny. I was, I was right. I was right there last year for a while and, and it was pretty loud. I was really um, sort of impressed by the noise, mostly jets that I heard um, down. In yeah. The that's what that air, that airport is a, uh, is a, is a private jet hub. Um, unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, the number of <laughs> Gulfstream fours and Gulfstream fives, and yeah. I would imagine someplace in LA is probably similar, but uh, yeah, it, it was it, constant. It, that's true. Yeah. It makes, yeah, it, it, it makes East Hampton look like a joke, mm-hmm. but they have very few helicopters. So, right. you know, that's the, that's the thing. The jets come in, you know, the thing about jets, uh, which used to be a major issue at, at uh, East Hampton and still is to a certain extent, but the thing about jets is that the technology has advanced uh, considerably and they're a lot quieter than they used to be. And also they don't make a lot of noise mm-hmm. when they're coming in. It's when they're taking off that they're, that they can be, that they can be loud if you're underneath the, uh, you know, the departure route. Um, but when they're coming in, you know, and their engines are idling, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty quiet. It's not like the helicopters mm-hmm. uh, and propeller planes, which, you know, are sort of, their engines are a little louder, no matter what they're doing. What's been the reaction so far to the announcement in terms of, you know, pilots, but then also in terms of some of the groups that have formed, um, you know, really asking the town board to just shut the airport down. Yeah. Every, everybody hates it, of course, which I guess that's how, you know, when you got it right. Right. It's like, it's <laughs> like being a journalist. Everybody's, everybody's mad yeah, everybody's at you. Pissed. you right. if, everybody's pissed at you you did a good job (laughs) it means you you didn't give anybody too many uh too many favors yeah so you've got you've got the anti-airport crowd who um you know the, the the process that they've gone through in the last uh, just in the last few months really where they've 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 sort of built this case uh, for it um, with public hearings and public comments and they had these listening sessions where people just came in and talked and and basically what what it came to is this consensus that was like seventy or eighty percent was that everybody agreed that the way it is now is not okay. Um, you know, to a certain extent, the aviation crowd was bullied into that. And, and Um, they're, they're kind of taking that, you know, making that acknowledgement or concession, because they're afraid that the airport's going to be closed completely. Um, But so everybody thinks that, you know, something needs to be changed, something needs to be done. Um, And there's a, a, a smaller group of people who are usually from the neighborhoods that are the most noise affected, who have just taken the position that the airport needs to be closed completely, and uh, you know there's an environmental component to that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of environmentally uh, uh, passionate people in East Hampton, obviously very liberal town, that um, you know will will gr- sort of jump on that. But so therefore the anti the noise affected anti airport people have seized that that is sort of their rallying cry, thinking that that will get them more fans 
among people who don't ever have an aircraft fly over their house. So there's that crowd and those that crowd's pissed because now here's the town board that had been talking for the last several years about how, well, we're going to close the airport if the noise isn't fixed. We're going to close the airport if the noise isn't fixed. You know, we'd said several times in stories that that had sort of clearly been a, uh, a bargaining chip that uh, Larry Cantwell in particular had had sort of introduced uh, that approach. And it's been it's been, uh, you know, carried like a flag by the town board for the last several years when they were trying to push the aviation groups into coming up with ways to to tamp down the volume of, of aircraft coming into that airport sort of on their own without, since the FAA wasn't gonna let them. Um, so you've got, the, you've got the airport closure people are mad because the airport's not closing, but you also have the aviation crowd who are very concerned. Uh, you know, obviously they're upset that there's gonna be some sort of limitations placed uh, on things, which, you know, none of us like it when all of a sudden there's a new rule that applies to something that we don't have to follow rules on now. Um, but there's also this fear of, uh, you know, the snowball and that it's a slippery slope and that once you introduce one limit, it's going to get out of control and you're going to have a, you know, a six inch thick book of rules that basically is going to mean that, you know, four planes a day can take off and and come back and they can't come back for four days you know there's there's that sort of fear so pretty much the aviation community across the board um, is against um, any sort of a legal uh, approach to this especially when it's going to be in the hands of uh, of politicians you know so mike you, you you talked about how careful the the town was being with its legal representation and working with the faa and all that, but with everybody unhappy, and because this is something that hasn't been done before, certainly there's going to be some legal challenges, I imagine. Do you think that's going to come from all sides if, if nobody's happy? Um, it, it might. So, you know, the aviation crowd in the, in the last several months, um, one of the things that they have said in their arguments against the town taking this approach is that, you know, if you close the, because the, the you know the technical process of this is that they are closing the airport and then they're opening a new airport which in all their legalese is capitalized capital n capital a new airport as though that's going to be the name of it it's going to be the new east hampton airport you know um but so it's a new airport and obviously you would think that creating a new airport anywhere is a uh, environmentally, um, and meaning both nature and sort of the impacts on community as a whole, uh, an environmentally complicated thing to do. And so there's a lot of fear that once it's closed, um, that environmental groups or the anti-airport groups will sue, uh, take it to court, and then ask a judge for a temporary restraining order that blocks the new airport from opening on March 3rd, like the town says it's going to. The- um, oh, so They would have to have that like ready to go the minute it- Well, yeah, that there's the thing, the three day thing, you know, is, is that a time? I mean, listen, you got a month and a month to prepare for it. Certainly, you know, a sharp legal eagle could pull that off, I would think, um, you know, they're closing the airport on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So the court's going to be open and, um, you know, presumably you could pull that off. 
Um, the town hasn't talked about how to fend that off um, in any sort of real detail. Uh, their attorneys haven't really mentioned it at all, um, even to say, yeah, that's not really possible. We're not worried about that. Um, uh, Peter Van Skoyak, when I asked him about it um, a month or so ago, said that, uh, you know, their, their thinking is that, that it's such a legally fraught thing to try and do uh, because of potential liabilities. If you lose, you know, if you do something like that, and it ends up that you, you know, you cost people tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, you could be on the hook for that. Um, you know, they, they don't seem concerned about that. I don't know if that's a valid. Uh, they're like guess they're relying largely on the expertise of this um, legal firm that they brought in. Um, so what's their what's their story? Have they dealt with a lot of issues like this? And yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's Cooley LLP. They're like one of the largest law firms in the world, and uh, they do have a whole wing or section um, that are seen as you know the top aviation attorneys in the world. Um, you know, the, the town has taken some heat from the from the airport folks from the very beginning that when they hired the this company, one of the things that they cited as their, uh, you know, as part of their CV that appealed to the town was that they helped, I think it was Malibu, they helped some, a California town, I think it was Malibu, uh, actually close its little private airport, a little public airport that it had because of noise impacts. And they just actually wrapped, I think they did it over like 10 years or something like that, but they, but they actually helped them go through the process with the FAA and, and shut down the airport. And so everybody said that as soon as they hired them, that clearly was their, uh, was their tack. But yeah, the, these, these attorneys are, uh, they're heavy duty and have, have a lot of experience working with the FAA. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. As far as as far as the um, uh, the rules that they're going to impose, which um, speaks a lot to what you've heard in the public comments very recently, um, you know they haven't said, and they're going to go through a process. But it, it they've they've sort of hinted at several of the possible approaches. Um, obviously, they could you know they can they can impose the restrictions on time. Uh, they could impose restrictions on the total number of flights that can come into the airport uh, in any given day, in any given week, you know, whatever. They can set their own parameters there. And, uh, you know, as, as, you, as you bore down into it, they could impose restrictions on specific types of aircraft and also on aircraft and who owns or operates an aircraft. 
And that seems to be the, um, the real focus of where we're probably going to see uh, this initial package of limitations um, is gonna be, you know, helicopters are gonna be a, uh, a major, probably the main focus. Um, I don't think you're gonna hear, see a total ban on helicopters, which is something that they've said they could do, just say no helicopters. Uh, I don't think you'll see that. Um, you know, there's seaplanes have been a big issue because a lot of the charter companies um, have switched to seaplanes because they're more comfortable, uh, they can hold more people, and they don't cause quite the uh, noise impact that helicopters do, a lot less, but they're louder than, you know, the little private planes that traditionally flew in and out of that uh, airport. Uh, and then there's big jets, obviously, that you know, do cause uh, a greater uh, noise signature or noise footprint, um, but also are probably not gonna be completely banned. Although that is something that you've heard more about um, that you could ban the big jets, just make them go to West Hampton. Um, and so it, it seems that what you're gonna get is you're probably gonna get a package um, of limitations on types of aircraft and then there's probably going to be a specific, uh, maybe extra limitation on commercially operated flights, which, you know, that's really been what's changed at that airport in the last 20 years that's kicked the, uh, the tenor of the opposition to the airport, which there always was, even when it was mostly little planes and a few jets. Um, you know, there were people that were that were outraged by the noise and the pollution flying over their homes. Um, but since the since the charter helicopter thing has exploded, which basically started in like 2004, 2005, then it dipped a little bit when when you had the recession. And then, you know, it's just exploded since then in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. I think they've set new helicopter number records every year since 2017, so 17, 18, 19, then 20, obviously everything changed. So, you know, that's probably going to be where they go with that. There'll be some limitation on commercial operators, which they'll have to define because, you know, net jets will fall in there, which is, you know, a jet that's owned by a company, but leases it to say six different corporations that their executives used to fly back and forth. Does that count, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think what's um, interesting is I, you, you had a quote from the um, representative from Blade, I believe, who just basically implied, yeah, if, you know, whatever they end up banning, those helicopters are not going to stop coming. And so that's probably what's freaking yeah, out. Well, and, 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 that's, and that's their threat. And that's been a big part of the debate. You know, I mean, just in the last several months, Montauk has really stormed into the uh, into the conversation because as the reality of uh, the airport being closed and you know serious limitations, enforceable limitations being placed on flights there, um, everybody has started to say, well, where are those flights gonna go? Because yes, people are still gonna, I mean, we all know the way the world works. People are still gonna want that. And the companies that are making fortunes off of this are going to find ways to keep providing that. And so where are the flights going to go? So mm -hmm. you have those options. You have Montauk Airport, obviously, which is an airport. It's got a runway. Helicopters can land there. Um, it's privately owned. Uh, you know, nobody really knows who it is that owns it. I mean, 
it's the Duriers and the Apple Naps, but um, you know that nobody really knows what their interests are because all of a sudden, if you have a ton of flights wanting to come in there, you know they're paying landing fees. It's a, potentially it's a cash cow. Um, they've been trying to sell it. It's for sale. They've been trying to sell it for years. The price is astronomical, 18 million, 15 million, something like that. But boy, you got a lot of big money buying up property. Uh, in fact, right across the street from that airport, you know, billionaires yeah. for whom that kind of money might, uh, you know, not, you know, you shrug mm -hmm. it off. So well, not only that, you can have like all of these private operators could band together and buy the airport themselves. And that is a private landing. Yeah, they they could too. I, I don't know if they're making enough money to justify that kind of expenditure, but maybe, um, you know, a lot of them are owned by hedge funds also. So I have a question. If, if East Hampton Airport then does become quote unquote private, does that mean that public tax dollars still go to maintain it? Well, no, no tax dollars maintain it now. It, it, it's a, okay. it funds itself. It, it funds itself. They've got um, all those leases of the industrial properties around it, landing fees, they sell fuel. Um, that, that's been a big thing with the airport, um, you know, since this board took over in 2014. That was one of the things that was, uh, was sort of at the top of their priority list was to make it self-funding, even with the astronomical legal bills of the last several years. But it still sounds confusing to say that it's a, a publicly owned private airport versus a, a public airport. And I'm not sure that I'm 100% clear on, on the distinction there. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's an FAA designation, you know, the I guess. Those are, those are legal terms, private, private and public. I mean, there, there has been, um, you know, some of the aviation uh, people um, have raised the question of whether it's possible that, you know, whether that can be the case, a, you know, can a municipality own a private airport? Um, again, it's not something that's been addressed specifically to, ex, um, you know, to explain it away in the public discussions of it. But, you know, the town's attorneys have said that this is an approach that they're taking, that the FAA has said, okay, is said is okay, and that they've determined is, uh, is legally possible. I guess, you know, maybe you don't find out any of this until it, you know, is a lawsuit and a judge and courts rule on it. You know, that's like so many things. A lot of it's just sort of opinion until a law is determined. So, um, so yeah, you know, Montauk is, is the big question. And then there's Southampton Village, obviously, which has a little helipad out there on Meadow Lane where more helicopters can land. Um, you know, as far as the big jets, if, if, if uh, East Hampton, put strict limits on their numbers or band them all together. The only place that they can go is to West Hampton Gabreski um, because Montauk, uh, Montauk could only, their runway is only long enough for the smallest jets and they really don't have very much space to park. So obviously not many planes are gonna stay there. So, you know, these are all the considerations that um, the town has said you know they did these they did these diversion studies of where planes will go and helicopters will go if montauk if east hampton airport just closes period and you know it's all about worst case scenarios and the possibilities of where they could go and you know they said that like seven thousand more flights a year could go to montauk but of course the real world um uh, logistics of that are not gonna 
allow that much. You know, you can't have as many planes parked. Um, it's not convenient to go to Montauk for people. I mean, if they're yeah, so yeah. desperate to fly. Is somebody yeah. from Sagaponic or Bridgehampton going to fly to Montauk as compared to Bridge uh, as compared to West Hampton? You know, traffic differences. You know, could be it could be six or one half dozen or the other. Um, uh, same with Southampton. Do you see any any um, any plans or any interest maybe in some of these communities um, like the helipad that you have on Meadow Lane? Could you envision any of these um, places in East Hampton or Sagaponic or even Sag Harbor maybe building helipads? Um, yeah, I mean, that would, again, back to the new airport idea, it would be very difficult to create a new landing zone that isn't there already. Um, you know, there, there are some around, you know, there's a helipad technically in the sand pit on uh, Springs Fireplace Road that the Bistrians own because um, uh, old man Pete Bistrian used to fly, his, fly by helicopter from the sand pit to Southampton Golf Club back in the day. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and they've they have maintained that they land a helicopter there like once a year to keep that designation there. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, could you turn the, could you, could the Bistrians become Bistrian airport? You know, I don't know. Um, could you create a new helipad on land someplace, you know, Dean Foster has got a landing strip on his farm field. Could you, turn, could you pave that and turn that into an air? Shelter Island actually has an airstrip. Um, yeah, and Shelter Island's got a little airstrip. I mean, I think it's sort of absurd to think that anybody's going to fly to Shelter Island, yeah. uh, in, you know, and, what, and then pay that? for a ferry to come to the east end, yeah. unless they live on Shelter yeah, Island. Yeah, but you know, again, helicopters can land kind of anywhere, and you know, a lot of people go to Sag Harbor, so okay, maybe Sag Harbor people will will fly into Shelter Island. I don't know who owns that airport, those airstrips. You know, they're they're all private. Mm -hmm and prior permission required, you know, sure, an aircraft company could come in and buy them or, you know, a, 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 a profit-minded uh, owner who owns them already could say, yeah, sure, what the heck? Um, you know, th those are all things that are possible. I think that the town board in East Hampton has said that, you know, they, they are very uh, wary of sort of creating those peripheral, having those peripheral impacts, you know, they don't want to, they're trying to, they're trying to minimize and reduce impacts, not just sort of push them elsewhere. And uh, Montauk, especially, obviously, since that's in East Hampton town, it happens that none of these other possible places other than the Bistrian thing um, uh, are actually in East Hampton town. So theoretically, East Hampton town could say, we only really have to worry about Montauk. What about the seaplane thing? What if, what if the, is there strong seaplane legislation? And then there's, and yeah, then there's, then there's the seaplanes. So East Hampton banned them in town waters in East Hampton, but the, you know, off Sag Harbor is state waters and you can land a seaplane as, as we all know, um, uh, Jimmy Buffett does. Uh, you can land a seaplane. It used to happen fairly frequently. Right. It, you know, not many people do it anymore. There was a, there was a time, um, a period, a, a of a couple of days, I think, uh, or maybe one afternoon, um, a few years ago where East Hampton airport was fogged in or something. And, um, a bunch of seaplanes landed in shelter Island sound and disembarked people. Um, but you know, you'd have to do it by boat and, you know, that creates sort of logistical, 
uh, complications of, you know, switching from a plane to a boat or to a dock, a floating dock out in the bay and then to a boat, which, you know, the crowd that flies back and forth from New York City to the Hamptons uh, on the weekends, um, you know, and Louis Vuitton bags, does that, is that really something that they're going to be uh, you know, psyched to do? Maybe, you know, certainly, certainly a certain crowd will, uh, a certain group would that um you know everybody says oh montauk 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 except that you know that's been there they've been flying flights to montauk um you know the montauk crowd montauk's been the hottest resort place in the country for the last 10 years and the number of flights into that airport have only gone up a kind of a little bit so that's you know that that doesn't seem like a uh, a demand that's really setting things off um, same with same with Sag Harbor, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to throw the spaghetti at the wall, certainly. Um, and, you know, you'll just see what what develops. And uh, one of the things that the town and, and you know, Pete Van Skoyak during the uh, campaign um, against really against Jeff Bragman, um, the Republican candidate never really brought up the airport. Um, but Jeff Bragman said that you know, if, if he won, had been elected supervisor, he was in favor of a one-year pause on, I think it was all commercial traffic to East Hampton Airport, which would mean no blade, nothing. And that would really show you where, you know, how that would shake out then. Where would those flights go? Um, Pete Van Skoyak said, you know, I, I don't think it's better to sort of force the floodgate open and then try and figure out how you can rein it back in. Um, he said, it's better to just sort of let, let's, let's, you know, tighten the screws slowly and see how we, you know, where we get improvements and, and where we get um, uh, unexpected side effects. And, you know, and then we can adjust as we go, because it's easier to, uh, tighten restrictions uh, incrementally than to um, uh, loosen them incrementally. It also seems so. like you'd be opening yourself up for a lot more lawsuits if you just shut it down permanently for a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The lawsuits thing, you know, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, this America will find something to sue over everywhere, but um, you know, how that's going to shake out is uh, nobody really, you haven't, usually when you, when you have applications like this and, and people start threatening lawsuits, they're very specific about what they're going to sue over. And, you know, we haven't, re we haven't really heard that from anybody. Um, it's going to come, I, I got the impression, and somebody might've mentioned it, that, you know, where you'll see the lawsuits will be when they introduce the specific restrictions. Right. And if, you know, especially from the commercial companies, if, if uh, there's a new law that really targets that one user group that's when that group will sue. I see. And, um, and that's when the, you know, the legal power of those kind of restrictions, you know, that's going to come down to the wording of that specific restriction and, you know, where the, where the law lands on such things. And that's where we'll, that's where we'll find out the extent, you know, the airport sort of always has, um, you know, the fail safe in its pocket that they can say, listen, and they've said it, um, you know, this town board has said, we're not in favor of closing the airport, but the situation that exists now can't be allowed to continue. And if we can't find a way to 
reduce it and make it, you know, as Peter Van Skoyak said this week, you know, get it back into the footprint that it used to be in that people tolerated, um, then we'll, you know, revisit the idea of just closing it completely. And that's always something that they will be able to do. That's always a threat that they'll have. And, you know, people can sue over each individual rule and they can try a new rule. But if at the end of the day or the decade, they haven't reached a point where they, uh, where they like to be, they'll just say, all right, helicopters are banned or all right, the airport's closed. So was the uh, vote unanimous to do the three-day closure? Yep. Yep. Mm. All right. Yep. They've got, I mean, you know, listen, it's a three, you know, three of the board members were on, were the ones that started this whole thing in 2015 after after uh, Larry Cantwell and Kathy Burke Gonzalez got elected and the Democrats had the majority on the board. Um, although Fred Overton didn't put up a particular stink over the airport, he did vote against uh, a couple of the restrictions. But, um, you know, since th th so three of those three of those board members are still on the board. Um, you know, David Leeson and Kate Rogers, who have joined the board. Kate obviously has been a has been a staunch environmentalist and you know, they've, they've, they've expressed the, uh, the agreement that, you know, the, the, the situation now is just, it's, it's too much for some, a certain crowd. I mean, how many people it is, it's too much and people shouldn't have to live with the, uh, the extent of the noise that, that they do. Um, even though a lot of them are in Southampton and, and, you know, Sag Harbor, Noyak, Southampton town people that it's understood that the impact on the community from the airport has just gotten to be too much in the wider community. And I think also, you know, what the kicker is, is that it's not like, it's not the local users of the airport that have increased the traffic so much. It's for-profit business, right? you know, that's, that's created an industry here. And, you know, that's, that's hard to stomach for a lot of people who, you know, just, are, they don't benefit from that for-profit business. They're not using Blade. They're not commuting to the East End via helicopter. And so for this very tiny portion of our population, you know, you're having a yeah. quality of life issue. And yeah, know. there's, and there's been a huge debate over the, over the value of the air, you know, the commercial flight, the airport in general, and how much the people that come there spend. And, you know, would they go elsewhere if they couldn't fly in just kind of whenever they wanted, um, which, uh, you know, which which goes to how the town seems um, intent on on imposing the restrictions is to, you know, make it reduce the number of flights, don't eliminate them, you know, keep that convenience there for the, you know, as, as the aviators have pointed out a lot, this airport was built by one trip so that people could fly out in jets. And so private jet flights into this airport have always been a part of it. Yes, for many years, the vast, vast, vast majority of flights were small, single propeller, privately owned um, airplanes. And it used to be way more flights then than it is now. Um, but I mean, this town board has been pretty clear that those, they don't have any intention on limiting that really, yeah. I don't think yeah. at all. Um, you know, maybe there'll be some, obviously there's going to be curfews. That's going to be one of the first things. Cause that's, they did a few years ago and everybody pretty much liked it. Um, you know, there'll be curfews, but other than that, they haven't given any hint that they're going to put limits on those privately owned aircraft, especially the ones 80 or so, however many it is that are actually based at that airport. And, yeah. you know, they do 
take flying lessons there. They do touch and goes and, and, you know, so that generates a lot of uh, operations as they call it, but I, I haven't heard any discussion of placing even, um, even small restrictions on that. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I think, like you said, it's mostly going to be targeted at the um, commercial charter helicopters and helicopters specifically and even even specific you know makes of helicopters uh, that are some are especially loud whereas others aren't um and you know they'll probably i think that they'll probably end up still allowing a certain amount of that they'll just put a they'll just put a cap on it you know they'll only be six flights a day you know? they don't want to discourage people from coming out and spending money in, in East Hampton and on the South shore, right? So, I mean, you wanna to try to get control yeah. of this, but you don't wanna lose that portion of the economy. Right, right. You do have a lot of people that, you know, that a lot of very wealthy people do only, I mean, flying in is very important to them. It's uh, obviously, yeah. you know, costs a fortune. So it's obviously very valuable to them to be right. able to get from their office to their house out here in an hour, because that's, you know, two and a half hours that they can spend at work longer. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's a very important thing. And that's why I don't think, yeah, I don't think you're going to see that. You know, one of the other things that they've talked about is that you could shorten the runway, which would um, by default uh, make the jets that could land there smaller because, yeah, these, these huge private jets, the Gulfstream 4s, 5s, and 6s, um, are very loud um, and still much less loud than a jet that size used to be, but they're still very loud. And so you could eliminate them and without eliminating jets so that yes, the, you know, the corporate, uh, the corporate executive could still fly out here, but you know, he doesn't get to be on a plane that could theoretically hold 30 people. Yeah. Uh, he just has to come on a little private plane and, you know, the, the way your watch turns is still the same. It's just a matter of how big the seat you're sitting in is. Interesting. So, you know, those those are all things that basically this step this week puts on the table. You know, the the town, if if everything that they've said this step is going to allow them to do allows them to do, uh, they're going to be able to you know start piling all these these possible things into. Uh, you know, in, into categories and, and see, uh, and see what they, what the shakeout is. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a political world. So, you know, you could get different boards that whose minds would change. I don't know how quickly an individual uh, restriction can be imposed and lifted and changed and tailored. You know, I, I guess you could. This could turn into a uh, could turn into a, a football, you know, and just get kicked around constantly. But it, it seems that we'll be able to start the conversation on March thirteenth. Okay. So why do I have a feeling we'll be doing another podcast about this? That um, yeah, probably on March fourth. March fourth, <laughs> whatever day of the week that is. So. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how quickly they. Um, first of all, how openly they. They discuss, uh, they formulate these new rules, and how quickly they uh, they actually uh, come up with a with a package um, to put up for adoption. 
you know, is it going to go right to the last minute on Thursday, uh, the Thursday of Memorial Day weekend, which they probably have a meeting on the Thursday night before the start of Memorial Day weekend, or will they do it, you know, right away in March? And, and they could always change that midstream, for, like by 4th of July, they could change their mind about. Yeah, they, I think that they've, yeah, I think that they've said that their plan is to introduce, and, and I think that this might speak to the legal um uh, uh, steps of, of adopting them is that they plan to introduce them. Uh, summer 2022 will be the, the test drive. You know, they're going to do extensive data modeling, um, see where the flights go, you know, how many, how flights change at other airports, which these consultants have already been doing. Um, you know, they'll see how the flights change into other airports, what, you know, the noise impacts change, complaint numbers change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then they'll revisit it in the fall of 2022 and present a report saying, you know, this is what happened. This is what you, the rules you did. Um, this is the effect that they had. What do you think? And then, you know, so I, I have a feeling it'll be, it'll become like a, you know, it'll be part of the annual organizational meeting at the town board as to, you know, what are the rules of East Hampton airport going to be this year? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> it's, God, when you think about a political uh, body being in charge of such a thing, that it can make your head swirl. But um, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna see because it's gotten to that point, and it seems like the only finality would just to be say, never mind, close the airport. <laughs> so one, I had one last question: Are they going to be able to make money now that they weren't able to make before? Like going from public to private, does that mean that they can charge landing fees that they couldn't or didn't charge? <laughs> No, I, I don't think it, uh, I mean, I, there are some limitations on landing fees um, with the public airport as to how much they can charge. I'm not sure what they are. I feel like it's a, you just have to be within reason, you know, it's like a price gouging thing. Um, I don't know if that changes with a private airport. Um, obviously they've, they're still going to continue charging landing fees. They're still going to sell fuel. It's been one of the things that they've talked about is that um, uh, changing um, the number of flights into the airport is obviously going to reduce all of that stuff. Less right. fuel, less landing fees, blah, blah, blah. Right. Can you make that up? Do you need to make that up? Um, you know, they've, they've spent millions of dollars a year the last several years on uh, legal fees which, you know, if you sort of settle into a process of operating the airport, uh, maybe you won't need that much for legal fees anymore. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously you're gonna need a certain amount and consultants and that, that sort of thing tracking all of it, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe they'll be able to make it work. And yeah, maybe they can just crank up the landing fees. I mean, cause you know, a Gulfstream four that costs $60 million, and costs, uh, you know, probably fifteen or twenty thousand dollars just for one flight from wherever, you know, in Colorado to come to that airport. Is that per? You know, I, th I think that airplane's only paying a few hundred bucks now in a landing fee. Wow. Is that guy going to give a darn if the uh, if the price is uh, two thousand dollars? Is he going to not come all of a sudden? Uh, probably not. And can you just could you do that? You know, can you tax the rich? Yes. Um, to keep it so that the guy with the guy with the Piper Club is still only paying is still only paying 30 bucks, you know, so those are going to these are going to be the things that are going to be hashed out. 
of all the debates, the are they gonna stop coming to East Hampton is the most ridiculous comment to me. I just it's just not gonna happen. Whether the airport's closed, whether it's open, whether the landing fees are increased, these people are not gonna stop coming here. There's a reason. Yeah, the guy, the guy with the hundred million (laughs) dollar house on the ocean and further lane and the seventy million dollar Gulf Stream is not going to start going to Seagirt. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. And he's also not going to be sitting next to me on the LIRR. <laughs> maybe. No, that's certainly not. And maybe he'll go to Martha's Vineyard instead. But, you know, somebody's going to jump in and buy his house. I wonder if this is a similar debate that goes on over in Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard with their airports. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, they might be a little bit more sensitive to allowing aircraft travel in because they aren't you know the hamptons mm-hmm. um you know the people don't have to be there if you live in new york city and you're big shot in industry you have to be out here it's just mm-hmm. there's no way around it it's where everybody else is the people that can't afford to fly are all here you know so your kids are going to want to be here you know your 20 year old kids don't want to go to the jersey shore they want to go to montauk yeah. you know they, they, that's not what they they want to go to the hamptons and you know most people from new york city are still going to be here and there's always going to be somebody who's rich enough uh to be able to afford any house that somebody who won't come here because they have they can't fly in uh is selling uh that is happy to have that house and drive still drive out ride out in the back of their Maybach with a chauffeur. (laughs) Maybe the Long Island Railroad, somebody should start adding like luxury cars to the, to the backs of the uh, cannonballs. They used to have that club car. That was not luxury. Yeah, the club car. That was like a, that was like a dive bar. Uh, that was the worst. There's there's a reason they stopped doing that. <laughs> but that could be fun if they did something like that. You know? Well, yeah, and charge two thousand dollars for the tickets and and put big plush stid seats in there and uh, you know make it like the yeah. first class on Air France. You know, you give your, you get your little pods. Yeah, and good Wi-Fi and all that. I could see that being. Maybe they could create like a private entrance. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. You need right. You need the right. You need the first class lounge. Exactly. First class lounge. I mean, if the you know, let's be honest. If the LIRR was thinking, you know, like if they're they're losing so much ridership because people aren't commuting on a daily right. basis, they could really make up some some totally. for their buck by first class that. first class cars, premier class cars, pleasant totally. conductors. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com.
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.